0: It's Midday Magazine from Tuesday, August 22nd. I'm Shelby Herbert. Scott Newman just completed his first year on Petersburg's Borough Assembly. KFSK's Hannah Flora sat down with Newman to talk about what his first year in office has been like and the necessity of looking at both sides. Newman was inspired to run for the seat because he was frustrated with how the Assembly dealt with COVID.
1: I've always kind of chosen to stay out of local politics because it's so contentious people get really upset and there's always two sides and um but i figure you know I literally my whole life and this is you know it's my town it's our town and i just felt like hey maybe it's my time to contribute and put in my two cents and see where it ends up
2: so you said you you stayed away from it because it's contentious um how does it feel to be in the middle of it? Are you com- more comfortable with that contentiousness now, or how has that changed?
1: Oh no, I think there's always two sides to the issue. And um, when I was running, what I said was, "Like I have no agenda," um, and I really don't. I mean, like some people have an extra grind, and I really didn't. I just want, I just wanted to bring balance and logic to the assembly so we can make good decisions and people can have confidence in the assembly.
2: Is there anything that surprised you about this experience? Um
1: you know if anything, there was one person that uh as I was running, they 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 encouraged me, you know, to, you know, you gotta look at both sides and da 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 and boy, that that has really rung true because uh every issue that comes up you know you you kind of have to immerse yourself into it and you know to to get in and figure it out you know what is the the core uh issue here and what is the best way to address it and to do that you have to you have to talk to people on both sides and um and it's it's been very uh interesting for me to to find that balance you know, to get to the, the the crux of the message on both sides and then take that and then come up with, you know, what you think is the proper course forward.
2: It sounds like you haven't really made your mind up on a lot of issues until you start diving in deep.
1: Well, yeah, there's – I mean, if you have your mind made up before you go into the issue, you're not open-minded. And, uh, you know, I mean, we all have our opinions and – I have found that sometimes my my opinion is needs to be modified, <laughs> and by doing so by by going into these issues and learning you you realize that wow so many of these issues are they're a lot bigger than you think they are. you know everybody has an opinion uh, I get phone calls at you know ten o'clock at night um people that that finally feel courageous enough to make the phone call and um but I like that. That's the part. That's part of the process. Mm-hmm. People that approach you in the hardware store, um, you know, I I appreciate that because that's the kind of input and feedback. And um, you know, oftentimes people come up and they're they're hard driving their point. And by the time you're done talking with them, you know, they just want to be heard. People just want to be heard, and that's that's the beauty of living in a small town is people can approach you and feel like they're heard. And I and I do hear them.
2: What do you wish that people understood about the assembly?
1: Um. Well, it is a lot of work. <laughs> uh, if you have, uh, and anybody that's looking at at um, at running for any any board or assembly, it definitely takes time. If you have extra time on your hand and extra mental capacity, then jump right in. But I do encourage uh, people to to run for boards and be a part of our community and and you know the citizens are part of the process we are we are the process like this is our town and we need to be, get involved and and have a have a hand and have a say in how we move forward and that that requires all of us so
2: um is there anything that you're particularly proud of in the last year
1: um I, I, you know, I don't think that I really have done any one thing in particular. Um, I've, I, I, I'm pretty sure that there were some other assembly members and people that were pretty concerned about me and thought I was like super ultra conservative. And and then when they meet me, they find that actually I'm I like to think I'm a fairly reasonable, balanced person and can hold the discussion. And that's uh, that's what the process is supposed to be. We're not we're supposed to get along and encourage debate and talk to each other and um you know and find find the best solution moving forward whatever that may be and um i i feel like i've gotten along uh well with the other assembly members and uh for that i I've, i'm particularly proud of that i guess
0: That was Scott Newman speaking with KFSK's Hannah Floor. This is the second of a two-part series with freshman assembly members. The first aired yesterday and can be found on KFSK's website, kfsk.org. The next municipal election is Tuesday, October 3rd. The deadline to file for candidacy for borough assembly is today at 4.30 p.m. when the municipal building closes. Objects that are culturally important to tribes in Alaska, like ceremonial masks and drums, are scattered throughout the collections of museums across the globe. A new round of federal grants will help two tribes and two museums in the state bring some items home. Coastal Alaska's Angela Denning reports.
3: Anthropologist and explorer Ted Banks collected items from the Aleutians in the 1940s. Some were human remains.
1: Like human bones and skulls and jaw bones and things like that.
3: Chris Price is the CEO of Unalaska's tribe. The Kowalungan tribe of Unalaska is receiving about $15,000. The money will help them bring back items from the Museum of the North at the University of Alaska Fairbanks.
1: Lots of different archaeologists and explorers over time have come to Unalaska and they, you know, removed uh, sacred objects, including human remains.
3: The Kowlungan tribe plans to bring some of the items back to their island and others will stay at the museum for research. The returned remains will likely receive a ceremonial burial, depending on what the tribal council decides. Carter Price writes grants for the tribe. He says culturally, it's very important to get ancestors' remains back to their homes. He says museums and others are more understanding of that now.
1: There has been a shift with some of these, uh, organizations with wanting to return items, I think there's the recognition that housing some of these items isn't morally correct. So we're seeing more work with the tribes in trying to get the artifacts back.
3: Alaska's grants are part of $3.4 million awarded to tribes and museums throughout the country through the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, or what's called NAGPRA. The NAGPRA law was passed by Congress in 1990. The Central Council of Tlingit and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska is receiving two federal repatriation grants totaling about $144,000. They've been awarded similar grants over the past three decades and have worked with museums in California, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, and Maine to return items. So far, they've repatriated more than 140 objects.
4: They were either bought by the museums or donated from individuals that acquired them, sometimes illegally. Desiree Duncan
3: oversees the NAGPRA program for the Tlingit and Haida tribe. She says they repatriate and store the cultural items in Juno, and then loan them out to clans for memorial parties. The tribe has over 36,000 tribal members and several clans. The grants help elders and clan leaders travel to the museums where they look through archive rooms and identify items that belong to their people. Duncan says it's very
4: moving. Looking at the objects and just seeing them come to life and um, being with the clan leaders and elders, and um, it's just very a very powerful uh, experience.
3: Would you say that it's like sadness because it's been kind of in a sterile environment like that, or is it more of a happy reunion?
4: Well, I would say both, and it's very emotional. You go through different emotions while you're in there. She says they just
3: repatriated a killer whale shirt from the Minnesota Museum of American Art to Juno, And they're in the process of getting several more items back. A Wolf Clan mask, a ceremonial mask, shaman figure, blankets, a box drum, and totem poles that were taken from communities across Southeast. Duncan says they are grateful for the funding, which has increased over time, but it's not enough to do all the work. She says Schlinket and Haida is always looking for more opportunities to bring their culturally important items back home. Other grant recipients in Alaska include the University of Alaska Fairbanks and the Alutik Museum and Archaeological Repository in Kodiak. Reporting for Coast Alaska in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning.
0: Wrangell students head back to school in less than a couple weeks. And while school officials say they'll make the district's dwindling budget work this year, they're grappling with the potential longer-term effects of the governor's
4: statewide cuts to education funding. Sage Smiley reports. While students might be thinking about new clothes for school and adults might be signing kids up for extracurricular activities, Wrangell School Superintendent Bill Burr is thinking about money.
5: Even before the school starts, we have to look at where do we make cuts.
4: The amount of money the district receives from the state based on its student population hasn't substantially increased in the past decade, even as inflation has skyrocketed.
5: When we're only looking at removing programs or deducting things or cutting back in staff, none of that is positive to education.
4: Alaska's legislature passed a budget this spring with a one-time increase to the funding, $680 per student. It was supposed to help offset inflation costs. Governor Mike Dunleavy's veto cut it in half.
5: The impact is, is pretty significant.
4: Burr says Wrangell School District chose to budget without planning on a funding increase from the state.
5: We were not going to count on anything that wasn't already in hand. So when we built the budget, we anticipated a zero increase knowing that we desperately needed funding that was there, but trying to figure out how it was going to, to work.
4: The $5 million budget approved by Wrangell School Board earlier this spring had a $120,000 deficit to be paid from the district's savings. The remaining half of the one-time funding will help fill that hole, but won't entirely cover the shortfall.
5: We were working hard on seeing if we could survive without a significant increase.
4: That's just the coming year, though. The district has been paying for two school principals out of a pandemic relief grant. That money runs out next year, and without an increase to the base student allocation, or BSA, that per-student funding formula, there's not many other places to find that funding, around $250,000.
5: If we would have gotten a full BSA addition this year, we would have been able to offset that and know that we were on good financial footing. We don't have that.
4: The governor also slashed funding for the Department of Education and Early Development's Capital Improvement Project grant program, leaving funding for just five projects throughout the state this year. It's a program the school district and borough planned to apply to. The cut means the grants will be much more competitive.
0: We know that we have a lot of critical infrastructure to address.
4: Wrangell's Finance Director Mason Valarma explains. Voters approved a $3.5 million bond last year in hopes of leveraging additional state money.
0: Which would really help in addressing the exterior and mechanical components of the high school, middle school, and potentially the elementary school as well.
4: Valarma says construction has to be mostly complete within three years of bond issuance. If Wrangell's grant applications aren't successful, they have to do the project, just on a smaller scale.
0: We will have to narrow the scope of the project. It will continue to be the high school, middle school, elementary school. But we might just work on one building to try
5: to maximize the resources we're putting into work.
4: So both on the per-student funding front and maintenance front, Superintendent Burr says the district is struggling.
5: The vetoes on both sides are affecting us dramatically, not as much this year, but it will all come due next year. Having a a $250,000 gap from funding from this year without an increase in enrollment is going to be very difficult.
4: Burr says he anticipates next year being another fight to secure funding for students and schools.
5: The governor has shown over the last 5 years that education is definitely on the list for vetoes. So even next year if the if we do get approved and we do get everything that we wanted, the odds of another veto coming are are pretty high
4: and it's going to prompt some difficult conversations between the borough and school district they'll meet at the end of august to discuss pressing needs at the schools and throughout the broader borough in wrangle i'm sage smiley for kfsk i'm shelby herbert (laughs)